Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Amen. Stand to your feet. We're going to go ahead and dive in this text. I'm going to veer off from the path of the series um, today for something special in light of some things that's going on in, in particularly the body of Christ. All right. And particularly the body of Christ. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter th- uh, 4 verses 3 and then 12 through 18 on 3 read. 1, 2, 3, go right up on the screen. Amen. Today, um, veering off from my series and talking about the issue of I still believe in unity. I still believe in unity. Let's go before the God of heaven. Father, we thank you. Honor you for the opportunity to talk about what is needed to be talked about, body issues. So God, I'm praying that you would, you would do only what you can do in transforming and making a way through our ministry and through what you've called us to do to unify with uh, the church so that we don't see ourselves as a local church off to itself, but we are connected to the global church and even the church in this city. So Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Um, I, last week, I, as many of you know, uh, I went out and um, I went to Memphis for MLK 50th and had the opportunity to speak to over 25,000 people across the world about um, the opportunity and need for the church to walk in unity. That was what I was given. And so today is really an expanded version of a 15-minute message expanded into a 30, 40-minute message. Amen. Um, because I felt the need in light of what I'm feeling in the body these days I'm feeling more, div- I, I haven't been living through all of the periods of challenges in America as it pertains to African Americans and whites. But in the body of Christ right now, there are sectors that are fighting for unity and there are sectors that are fighting for division. And one of the ways that we're seeing that is around the issues of race and injustice. 
when we look at the reality of this racial injustice and the challenges to do with that, that is not to demonize white people and that isn't to sell out black people. Somebody should have said amen real loud right there. Um, but, but what it is, is it's a call to unity. Somebody say unity. God has called us to be a unified community, no matter how wokedified or, uh, 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 or frustratified we are. Um, we are called to be a new community in Jesus Christ that shows off the distinctive power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, in our country, evangelicalism, which is an ideology that was used originally to unify around particular doctrinal premises that point to the historic Christian faith of central things that people are supposed to believe to affirm that they are believers. The challenge with that is, is that evangelicalism started off as a predominantly white ideology that excluded blacks. When you look at books like The Doctrine of Race and um, Mississippi, uh, it's, it's a book on the issues in Mississippi and the, the Southern philosophy of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism, and you will see through those mechanisms that evangelicalism started off as a white only excluded entity that did not keep or connect to uh, uh, um, biblical Christianity. However, African Americans, even though they, they wanted to be in relationship with their white brothers and sisters, uh, created their own brand of what we call evangelicalism or fundamentalism to talk about the fact that we do attach to and we do believe in the historic Christian faith and we're connected and we love you even though you, re you, you are rejecting us. And so in light of that reality, um, over time, there has been sort of <clears throat> some points of unification in the body. The challenge is, is that we, we agree theologically, but we don't necessarily agree practically. And and what, it, what is happening now in our country, particularly among African-Americans and whites in the body of Christ, is there's a crash that's going on. And one of the things that evangelicalism is known for is it's known for its cultural captivity to political structures versus God's biblical principles. And so what happens now is it's more about, uh, it's more about uh, these few things. These things make you Christian, not Christ make you Christian. In, 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 other, in other words, if you agree with my political stance, then I practically affirm your salvation. But the issue is God's people never got in bed with politicians in order to affirm their identity in Christ. Our unity is not based on our political position, it's based on our biblical position as a unified church together. So we're not even trying to affirm democratic or, 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 or republicratic, we are theocratic. So we come to a passage of scripture that I believe is extremely powerful of reaffirming our commitment to unity. Somebody say unity. unity. This commitment to unity is something that many don't feel like knowing. You have on one side, and we're not broad stroking white people, we're not broad stroking black people, but we are talking about a stereotypical caricature that is really the avatar for our brokenness. So, so, so on one side, you, 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 you have race battle fatigue with black people. Race battle fatigue is the, let me build a foundation please. Race battle fatigue is the psychological ideology based on trauma and not being believed about the reality of continued race and injustice against African Americans in this country. The lack of believability about that and bringing it up comes off traumatic when blacks aren't believed. On the other side you have white frailty. White frailty on the other side is the attempt uh, to communicate that I don't want to talk with race because America has created a safe place for me to not no longer believe that it exists. 
So help me today. On one side, you got black people being apathetic and saying, man, I'm sick of y'all. I'm going to be off by myself and I'm going to create my own ideological pan-Africanistic island and I'll see you in the kingdom. On the other side, you got white folks that says, I don't want to deal with you either because I, didn't, I wasn't there when none of that happened and those were my ancestors. That wasn't me. So I don't know what I have to do with that and I feel like you're coming against me and being judgmental and you want me to pay for my family sins even though that I didn't do anything. The black side says, well, you're benefiting from the history of everything and structures that's set up for you to be able to do that. Well, I don't benefit from that. You need to pull up yourself by your own bootstraps. And so it's back and forth. And so, and so what we find ourselves in now is we kind of find ourselves at the end of the day, as mad as I can be sometimes, I got to go to the Bible. Ain't nobody going to talk back right there. <laughs> as frustrated as we, as siblings, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me affirm that first. Black and whites who know Jesus are brothers and sisters, not according to the flesh, but the spirit. So let, let's just get that out the way right now. We, we, we are not enemies. We, we got to step heavy in some hard stuff, but I'm saying this as a brother, not a hater. So we come to this passage. I got one point and one point only. The pursuit of unity aids in the church's corporate maturity. The pursuit of unity aids in the church's corporate maturity. Y'all going to get this statement in a second. It says in verse 3, I love this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is amazing. Yet, it's frustrating to the person who believes that unity, disunity is an option. When you look at this verse, it's not an option. It's not an option for us to not be on the same page. The text says, make every effort. Somebody say, make every effort. Yeah, I like this. Because as, as it says, make every effort, the, 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 it's, a, it's a present active participle. Let me break that down. It, 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 presently, you need to be doing. Actively, you need to be going after it. Participle means it's the adjectival disposition of your life, meaning it describes a functional aspect of your identity as a Christian. I'm by myself. So we're supposed to be known at making effort, not raising hell. I'm by myself. In other words, we're supposed to be driven by, I like one translation says, being diligent. One way, one way, another way to say it is to be eager at doing this. In other words, in other words when there's beef between Christians, we should be running to get things right. Oh, I said something right there. That's good. And, 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 so, and so that means that if blacks got beef with whites, we should be pursuing opportunity with whites who want to hear. Not ones that deflect and, and, and further traumatize the situation. But we need to, we, but we need to and it's hard, but we have to, as African-Americans, hopefully pursue peace. Whites have to hopefully pursue the best. On one side, there's the pursuit. On the other side, there's the hope. And both should be hoping on the same reality. But when he says this, he says to preserve or keep the bond of peace. You know what I like about this? Is that it's giving us a hint at the way it's worded of what we have in Christ. When it says, when it, when it says here, making every effort to keep or preserve, guess what that means? We already got it. 
It's that simple. You know, in Christ, we're already unified. We already unit. We already unified in Christ. Uh, and so Jesus, how did that get done? When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, he unified us, got up from the grave. Everybody that trusts in him, Jesus says, I'm the door to the sheepfold, John chapter 10. So there's not like sheepfold for black people, Latino people, like different sheepfold, we all gonna be together. No, there's one sheepfold that all of us with our ethnicities and distinctions don't get changed, they come into, and in our culture and ethnicity, it grows, but it doesn't stop being what it is. Oh, y'all don't know when it, anyway, it's all good. And so, and so now we're all in the same sheepfold, but we trying to make fences against each other. But the death of Christ paid for us to be together. Dang. Now, African-Americans, one of the things we have to work through are the practical frustrations with the structures and whites who don't get it and the racism that still exists. You have to put that and you have to practically deal with that with our white brothers and sisters who are biblically woke because they here, we got them and they got to, and the ones that ain't, we're going to prophetically rebukeify you. And then we, but we're going to say, no, nah, join us in the quest for us. This is not a black issue. Racism and injustice is an issue that the church as a whole supposed to engage. Now, this is not denying the death of Jesus Christ in the gospel, like we're going to social gospel. In other words, the death of Christ, which was, he was unjustly killed. He experienced police brutality when he was flogged for nothing. He was falsely arrested, taken to a cross by the Roman government, affirmed by the religious authorities. So Jesus understands police brutality, he understands unjust punishment and unjust sentencing. <laughs> and he died, but even the unjust acts that was done to him couldn't keep God from raising him from the grave to show that he justly died for our sins. It's beautiful. So you have the death of Christ here. We look back to that. But keep the bond of peace. He, he secured us to be at peace or shalom or irene with one another. On the other end, we have the eschatological return of Jesus Christ. Now that's going to practically make us unified. The issue now is the dash that's in between. It's already done and it's going to be done. The question is, we're supposed to maintain what he already started. And the way we maintain what we already started is not ignoring our brokenness, but facing our brokenness, facing our challenges, and looking in the mirror and saying, yes, I'm frustrated. Yes, it's messed up. But God has called me not to give up on what he's called us to do as the unified body to fight for the bond of peace. Look at what the text says. Verse 12. I mean, verse um, 13. It says, until we reach the unity of... Of the, uh, uh, until we use the unity of the faith, in the faith, and the knowledge of God's Son. So that means we're supposed to grow spiritually as a corporate body. M many of us in America, we think individualistically. We have our own little devotional things we want to do, and, you know, I want to grow spiritually. I want to be better. I want a church that preaches to me. I want worship that I like. I want a children's ministry for me. And so we have such a me-centered ideology. But in the Bible, it wasn't just about personal growth, it was also about corporate growth. That means that God doesn't, doesn't just have a trajectory for your own soul, he also has a trajectory for universal maturity. That means that God has a, 
a trajectory every generation that the body of Christ is supposed to be on as a unified body ethic of maturity where the question is in an American church right now, if God were to put our maturity on a scale, would we be spiritual infants or would we be spiritually mature? We would probably need to be put in the Nick unit. And we, mean, we need to be nurtured. To, 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 we're not even toddlers spiritually as it pertains to our unity. And so in light of that reality, it says we're supposed to attain to that. That's why it says growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ. In other words, we're supposed to universally reflect who Jesus is. Look what it says right here. It says, then we will no longer be little children. If we are not growing spiritually as a body, we're little children. He says, when we lack unity, we're babies. And guess what happens? He says, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Who does stuff like that? The devil. The devil knows that if he can keep us disunified, he, we can get very little done. But if there's a unified church, I'm telling you right now, all kinds of stuff are open. Do a study sometimes of what happened when the church was unified on some stuff. One of my favorite passages on the church being unified was in around the 31st verse of chapter 4 of Acts. When it says, and they all were gathered in one place. And they began, and it says, and the place was shaking. And they began to, uh, uh, they, they, they are all filled with the spirit and began to speak the, uh, uh, to speak the word of God with boldness. Unity. I love my favorite, my other favorite passage, Acts chapter 13, where you have a multi ethnic church started by Cyrenian Jews who are from North Africa started a church in Antioch and they got together and made a multi-ethnic church and sent out one of the greatest apostles out of all the apostles and it came from a multi-ethnic church not a monolithic church help me today and so in most matter of fact they were they were that, that was Paul's home church without Paul having a home church that sent him out we wouldn't have the New Testament so a multi-ethnic church sent out and was the covering for an apostle who wrote 13 books, more books than anybody wrote, and it came from a unified multi-ethnic church from people from North Africa, from Tur Turkey, and Southern Europe who got over themselves for a greater good. <laughs> what are some practical things? What are some practical things? How y'all doing? Practical things. So <clears throat> what does it look like? to pursue this peace. First, I want to say what unity doesn't look like. Then I want to say, based on this passage, what unity looks like. Number one, <clears throat> unity doesn't look like ignoring the impact of our past on our present. One of the things that's interesting in the race dialogue <clears throat> is our majority culture siblings want to act like the past didn't happen and isn't happening now. In other words, um, it's as if we say, no, let's just move on and not deal with what has separated us. The problem with that is that's not biblical unity. That's ignoring traumatic realities that won't allow reconciliation to happen. Reconciliation only happens when we deal with the hostility. Yeah. When I do counseling, I told y'all this. I got I to find out people's family past. Because in order, to, in order to help them to grow spiritually, in the, I got to see what are the strongholds that were shaped in their household 
in order to help them to grow spiritually. How in the world, if that's true in the counseling session, the whole body of Christ, we need comprehensive corporate counseling. And we need to talk about our familial past. That means we have to go back to 1619. We have to go back to 1619 and we gotta talk about those people that were born here and the fact that they were kidnapped. We have to talk about the middle passage. We have to talk about black codes. We gotta talk about Jim Crow. We have to talk about um, um, uh, uh, the 13th Amendment. We have to talk about unjust education. We have to talk about systems that are set up even in this neighborhood that are redlining African-Americans from being able to buy homes so that they can hold properties for developers. So that when they go to the bank, they get rejected. When a white goes to the bank, they get affirmed. I know business owners in this church, they got degrees from Ivy League schools. They go to try to get a loan, they're rejected. An Anglo goes and tries to get a loan with no degree, no education, and they get the loan. So we have to, y'all quiet, it's okay. And it, it, it's, it, it's, we have to deal with these challenges. Uh, uh, Paul Tripp, one of our members, wrote a great article on talking about how being around African Americans, particularly in this church, has helped his narrative of understanding his blindness to race. You can't, you, we, have to, we, 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 we have to deal with our familiar past. Oh, I gotta move, Woo. So much to say. Passing so many things in my nose. Uh, one of the things we as African Americans don't have to do, we can't hold hate in our heart. Hate is unhealthy. The Bible says, see that no one comes short of the grace of God. I, I, it's interesting how the writer connected these two in Hebrews 12. He says, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God by having any root of bitterness that sprouts up and it defiles many. When we walk in bitterness and unforgiveness towards our right brethren, we're not hurting them, we're hurting ourselves. Because what it does is it corrodes your heart's ability to experience God. That's why he says, he, uh, he calls Esau bitterness unbelief. So we have to be careful of allowing the trajectory of racism and injustice that we have a right to be angry about, righteously angry, but when that anger turns from righteous anger to unrighteous anger, then what begins to happen is a fermentation process has began that doesn't turn into wine, but turns into funk and fungus. Another one that doesn't help with unity is making accusations against each other. Making, or assumptions rather, making assumptions about each other. One of the things that we have to be very, very careful of is when we get in a relationship to talk to someone, making this up, I can't tell you how many things people have said to me, Anglos have said that's the craziest stuff this week because of the message, said some stuff to me this week that's based on, a, they, and, 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 and it was, what's challenging is they don't even see the racism that's in their heart and what they said to me. I remember one person online said to me, it's obvious that this guy's church takes a bunch of offerings. Now, who, now how many offerings we took today? So you have a stereotypical view of black preachers. And instead of dealing with what I said, you took on a racist disposition to broad stroke me because that's what you think of black preachers. I keep going. I would just call this week the most divisive pastor in the body of Christ because I brought up race. How can, how can African Americans be divisive when the fact that the black church exists is because the white church refused there to be a unified church together? 
And so we're not saying that to beat up our white brothers and sisters. Hear me today. We're trying to say, let's talk about real issues that help us to grow together. Oh, God, I got so much to go, but I'm just going to do a little bit of it. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. <laughs> I hear you, Nate. Man, that's helpful. Um, one of the things we must know unity is not is total agreement. We don't have to agree on everything. And when you don't agree on everything, you don't have to demonize somebody based on their disagreement. If you have core agreement on the core things that make Christianity Christianity, then we, we, that, that doesn't mean we have to have all agreement on everything. Look at Paul and Barnabas. They didn't agree on everything. Matter of fact, they argued with each other. And, 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 I, and I like that. And one of the things about making assumptions, why, my, let me train my white siblings on something. Black people are passionate. So when you see, like, we, we get turned up real easy. Um, so our turn upness isn't a fight. Like, you'll see two black, I was around with one of my good white friends. Dude was on the corner going like this, talking to his dude like this. He, said, he was going like, walking back and forth. And he's like, brother, is, is there a fight about the start? I said, no, nah, man. They probably talking about the game. You know, they, <laughs> they probably, you know, that's, that's how we do. You know what I'm saying? I, I, you know, I, oh, oh, you know we, we're passionate. I know we got some of us that are melancholy. I know some of you guys got the Myers-Briggs type indicator and all that. But I'm just saying, generally, <laughs> Generally, black people are very passionate. And so when we get in a conversation with our mild-mannered white brothers, just say, oh, he's just being passionate, not he's just angry and want to slap me. When ladies start going like this, like that, right there, that's their thing. Our thing is this, their thing is that. In other words, we have to realize that that's, that, that, that's how we got to begin to roll in understanding one another. So what does unity look like? Unity is a central Bible doctrine. See, you don't know when to say amen. Let me tell you why. Unity, based on this passage, is central. Just like inerrancy, which is the belief in the infallibility of the scriptures, the, the hypostatic union, Jesus Christ, 100% God, that's core doctrine. Being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, core doctrine. The Trinity, three persons, one God, central doctrine. Unity is equal with that. So whenever we're not walking in unity, we're not being Christian. So, 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 so when we look at that reality, <coughs> because of central Bible doctrine, that means now we have to add this to Epiphany Fellowship's doctrinal statement. <laughs> because unity is what we should be fighting for. And, 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 and that's everything. Uh, another thing uh, it looks like is healthy dialogue. Healthy dialogue, not hellish dialogue. Healthy dialogue. And the, the, the way the healthy dialogue starts is you can't use stuff like, let me get this straight. See, when you do that, it's already, you know. The Bible says in Proverbs 15, 1, a kind word turns away wrath. So that means if we're sitting down, I'm assuming the fact that you will sit down with me, that you want to be unified with me. <clears throat> Just give, give each other that. If we're sitting down to talk, we are already working on it because we're willing to talk. So now I check that off the list. Amen. Now when we talk, if a black person says, because I know my white brothers and sisters, we say some broad stroke stuff. And so y'all be like, you know, you, you get mad and then you say, so, so, so are you telling me? So, no, 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 no. This is what you do. You say, 
I'm sort of getting the sense of, boom, we're we going to be like, all right, cool. Boom. On the other side, uh, uh, blacks, we have to also try not to overgeneralize in our communication because it shuts our white siblings down, particularly uh, if, if they feel like we're, we're putting the weight of racist history on their personal shoulders. Does that make sense? So what we're doing is we're both coming to the table with knowing that there's been historical offenses, but that also we want to not put up fences. All right, I gotta move. Empathy from the privileged. That means that whites, one of the things that we, 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 we think is great for white, our white siblings to do is to study. Somebody say study. study. It's different things, <clears throat> as I've talked to my white brothers and sisters, uh, particularly between 35 and 60, <clears throat> they said there was a lot of history <clears throat> of America that they didn't understand or know. And the reason why is because the way we're educated in our school system is we're educated in a way to make America seem like a hero. And so when, you, when, when somebody's gone from pre-K to 12th grade college and been taught that America had a right to just come over here and take land, not like they didn't talk to you about the smallpox epidemic, giving people blankets. You know, they don't show you pictures of the Middle Past. It's like in a book, they'll have one page on slavery. Or they'll say indentured servitude in the place of it. And so what happens is, is now we go up, something racist happens, then we go to them, see, that's why, and they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Why? Because they've been trained to believe that America is the land of the free and the home of the brave, not knowing that on the 4th of July, that's like cursing at a black person. Because it was your freedom, but I was a slave while you was going fireworks and having barbecues. So, and so, and so thinking about that, when you, for Latinos, Columbus Day is disrespectful. When you celebrate a serial rapist, it's real quiet in here. And so when you celebrate those things, and black people aren't crazy, just read, don't read about Columbus, you know, standing up, going like that, with the little feather coming out of his hat on the top of the boat and all of that. Don't, don't look at that picture. You know how they paint pictures to make people look big. General Lee, all them. You got, you got to go do some real study on them. And then you got to study what slavery was actually like. Not, not, not just us, a nice outfit on. You got to study some, some hangages. Why am I saying all of this, brothers and sisters? I'm closing. Why am I saying all of this? Because the cross is where Jesus deals with issues. Why do I say that? The cross shows us that God doesn't ignore what divides us from him. The cross is heaven's cell tower to get us a signal back to him again. So because of that reality, <clears throat> the cross is the mechanism that God shows how he feels about all sin of all people who equally need him. Cross ethnically. There's, there's no, nobody gets a boost to the cross. Everybody got to come to the bottom of it and got to be bled on by Jesus equally. <laughs> Equal bleeding. Equal bleeding, every last one of us. <laughs> and, 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 and with that in mind, one day, God is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back, and in heaven, before we leave, there's going to be a party. The Bible says, John says prophetically. <clears throat> I won't even know if it was heaven or earth at that time. It was prophetic vision. He said, I saw a multitude that no one could count. From every tribe, nation, 
and tongue. And they, I could hear their different languages, meaning God doesn't make, make us unilingual in heaven. Thereby celebrating the languages that he confused ago, now we utilize those languages that divided us. Now our languages, where in our individual languages we say the same thing with our new bodies, with all of our individual colors, contours and looks, and guess what we're saying in all of our languages? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. It reminds me of when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And um, everybody was out in the streets, one million people. I, I was like, I ain't going. There's one million people in the streets. And as one million people in the streets, you had Irish people, Italian people, black folk, all kinds of people out in the street. But what was funny, nobody was fighting. They were holding it, white and black people taking selfies together. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and you wonder why, how in the world do people that normally hate each other could gather together and celebrate together? It's because they were, they, a game was won by a team that represents all of them on a field that they didn't play on. But not only that, they all had on the same jersey. And as they all had on the same jersey, on the back of the jersey was a name that wasn't none of their names. In, in, in other words, somebody won the game for them on the field, but because they won the game, they took the focus off of what their differences were. And they all put on their jerseys and said, let's celebrate together. Let's love one another together. Let's hang together because a game was won for us. Well, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came on the field of earth and he put on a human jersey and he became flesh and he dwelt among us and he died on the cross for all of our sins and guess what one day all of us in all of our ethnicities going to put on a white jersey with the bottom of it have a red head highlight on the bottom of it because we overcome it all by the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony and all of us are going to be shouting to the name of jesus christ honoring the name of jesus christ glorifying the name of jesus christ with the same jersey on but different colors people from australian people from aboriginal australia and people from greenland and people from south africa people from ancient kemet people from ancient ethiopia people of europe people ashantis uh, 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 people from the caribbean america europe are going to all be in one room worshiping one lord yeah. my prayer for us today is that the church would see itself as God's mechanism for change. Every head bow, every eye closed. Father, we are thankful for your work. We are thankful for your will. We're thankful for your way. And you've done more than make a way for us. You made the way and became the way for us. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus. Jesus is the means and mechanism for you to go from spiritual separation to spiritual connection to God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior. 
that's a bad thing. The challenge is he does the great thing about it, he doesn't leave you in separation. He gives you the opportunity to be connected. He died on the cross for all of our mess. And he got up on the third day to proclaim his victory over sin and death. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior. We would love to talk to you about what it means to go from not being connected to God to be connected to God. If you're here and you say, I want a relationship with God today. I know I don't have one. I want to be connected to God. I want to come back. I want to come to him today by faith. Anyone here, hold your hand up. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Anyone today that says, yes, I want to put my confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone, 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 anyone. Best decision in life you can make is to place your confidence in Jesus. And the separation can be over. The separation of life. You, you, you weren't born saved or knowing God. You weren't. You were born like all of us, separated from him. And there has to become a point in your life when he reaches out his arms through the death and resurrection of Jesus to take you from spiritual disconnection to spiritual connection. That's what he wants to do today. Anybody today. He says, I want to put my confidence in Jesus. I want to be new. I want to be changed. I want to pick up the pieces of my broken life and make me new. Anyone today. Amen. 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 Let our men come. Let's celebrate our unity. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.